Welcome to your partner in Success Radio, where we believe in the power of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, the intensely curious nerd in stilettos, and I am so thrilled to introduce the one and only Ben Gay III, who joins me each Wednesday as co-host. And this is where magic is made as we delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success. Now, Ben is a legend in the world of sales, and he is known for introducing the most popular and powerful sales training material ever produced, The Closers. And as a final protege of Napoleon Hill, he has amassed a wealth of knowledge on sales and life. So join us as we deep dive into Ben's experience and explore how he has guided and mentored countless professionals to achieve truly unprecedented transformational success in their careers. So sit back, relax, and take plenty of notes. We are delighted to have you with us. So good morning, everyone, and welcome to your partner in Success Radio with, as I mentioned, my co-host, Ben Gay III. And these weekly conversations are called The Closer's Inner Circle, Mastering Sales and Success with us, Ben Gay and Denise Griffiths. And I'm losing my voice already. And we will be broadcasting live each Wednesday, and today is episode one. And for the audience, very quickly, Ben has been my guest multiple times, the first time being in 2006. And that episode is titled, Ben Gay III, A Living Sales Legend, and He Is. And Ben and I have been firm friends ever since that day. And in fact, the conversations I have had on the show with Ben are consistently the highest rated and the most downloaded episode, episodes in the show's 15-year history. So when you hear me say on a regular basis that my guests are my mentors, I'm not kidding, and there is no better example than Ben. Ben, I can't even tell you how much I've been looking forward to this. I've been on pins and needles. Uh, I share the feeling, Denise. I've been very, very excited about it, and uh, it's an honor to hook up with you. I've had more people say to me, how did you get her to take you on? (laughs) Begging, uh, begging helps. (laughs) And the 50 cents that you still owe me, you know, there's that I need to collect. Yeah, well, it it is great. You're doing wonderful work, and I hope I can add to it a little bit. Oh, there's no question. I was having a conversation this morning with a friend of ours, David Brown, and he gave me so many wonderful ideas, and I'll be talking, nagging, begging about those later with you. But listen, you are, and I've said this all over the Internet, I have about five top people in the world that I just think so highly of. I have five favorite people in the world, and you're in the top two. You always have been. So getting you on my show to me is, it's not you getting on here on your own. It's me going, oh, really? You'll come on my show? Let's do it. I mean, I, I think I, my voice went up four octaves last time we talked. Cute thing for our listeners. The first time I was on with Denise a long time ago, as she just said, we talked and chatted about selling and various things. And towards the end, I'm, I'm sort of looking at my watch thinking we ought to get going. And she said something to the effect of, well, it's been a great show and we hope to have you back many times. <laughs> we were recording. We were. She, yeah, Denise is so easy to deal with that I honestly thought we were chatting pre-show. 
So I, well, I, my mind was racing. Did I say anything I would say in pre-show that I wouldn't have said on the show? Oh, I never know what I'm going to say. And I have to tell you about that episode. It still is, to this day, the highest rating podcast. That was 2006, I think I said. But And I'm sure I shared this with you all those years ago, but I got a phone call from California at 11 o'clock at night. And my attitude about the phone ringing after 9 o'clock at night is your house better be on fire. Something better be wrong. <laughs> what the I heck is wrong with you? Blue. Are you bleeding from an artery? Right. <laughs> if, if you're not, call back tomorrow. Exactly. And it was my friend, Cindy Wrights, and she used to work with Tony Robbins for about 12, 13 years, and she's a very dear friend of mine. And she was out on her walk with her pups. She was walking the dogs, 9 o'clock at night, her time. And she just said, oh, my God, I just listened to you and Ben Gay the third. It was like listening to two old friends sitting in front of a fire with a brandy snifter. And I said, really? And that's been very consistent with us ever since. Yeah. Well, you are really something. I'm honored to be here. Let's give them something to talk about. Let's. And listen, your history is amazing. I mean, you are the final mentee of Napoleon Hill, which all by itself is amazing. But you know where I'd like to start, Ben? With where you started of a you know holiday magic let's start there if you don't mind sure uh i was uh, newly married in atlanta georgia this is 1965 uh, i was broke as most newly married people are <clears throat> working for my father as a food broker at the time and uh one day, out of desperation, I picked up the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, turned to the one ads. I didn't know where they were. I'd never looked at one ads in my life and started through Help Wanted because I wanted to pick up some extra money. And uh, I quickly discovered there was nothing in the Help Wanted thing I was qualified to do. Nothing. I mean, stenographer. I couldn't spell it, never mind be one. Uh, and attorney in this and that and so on. And just as I was about to throw down the paper in disgust, I saw business opportunities separate from help wanted. I didn't know what a business opportunity was, but it was right there in front of me. So I glanced down and the, one of the very few ads there said, if you know anything about marketing plans and want to make more money, call this number. Well, I didn't know what a marketing plan was but I wanted to make more money. So I went into a phone booth. Your younger listeners may have seen them in museums. They were aluminum glass boxes and you went in and put money in the phone and dialed. This is obviously pre-cell phone. And a nice gentleman answered the phone. His name was Bill Dempsey. And I began interviewing him to see if he was worthy of hiring me because of course I was Ben Gay with Ben Gay uh, Food Brokers Company. That was my father, not me, but I skipped over that part. And uh, about, I don't know, four or five minutes into my interview, he said, Mr. Gay, I am not the man standing in a phone booth answering want ads. Where are you? And I told him, and by coincidence, I was about two blocks from his office. And at 1447 West Peach Street, Suite 300, not that this is stuck in my mind at all. So 
I joined uh, Jimmy Rucker, my running buddy and first business partners. It turned out came around. I jumped in the car like Robin and Batman, and I said, "Quick, 1447." He said, "What's going on?" I said, "We're going to be rich." My theory was anyone who would spend the money to run a want ad and then hang up on people who dialed must be doing well. So we went skidding in with uh, within the 10 minute time limit, barely. I said to the receptionist, hello, my name's Ben Gay, and I have a port. She said, yes, Mr. Dempsey knows you're coming. Have a seat. And I turned around, and this curly-headed, dark-haired guy sitting there said, Ben Gay. Well, I'm used to Ben Gay jokes. So I said, yes, just like the back room. Reached out to shake his hand. I said, what's your name? He said, Zig Ziglar. Well, I said, with a name like Zig Ziglar, you're making fun of Ben Gay? you got to be kidding I'd never heard of Zig, nor had anyone else. He'd answered the same one ad that I answered. He was selling cookware in South Carolina, and although he was 18 years older than I was, uh, he was in the Navy the day I was born. He hadn't had a big hit yet. He was a, a big fish in a very small pond in the cookware business. So we went in for a little interview, which turned out to be an opportunity meeting. And at the end of it, uh, they wanted $91.41 minimum to get started, uh, which was $91.41 more than I had. So I made Jimmy Rucker contribute his paycheck for that week. And that just about got us in. And we started off in uh, a multi-level marketing company called Holiday Magic Cosmetics, which was just getting started then. It was about a year old. But by the time I left and somewhere in between, it became the largest direct sales multi-level marketing company in the world. We were in 20 different countries, five different major subsidiaries selling different products and seminars and so on. And uh, along the way, I won a contest. It was a year-long contest. I wasn't trying to win it. I was just doing what I do. But it turned. I knew we were doing well. I just didn't know how well. So a year later, I got a call from San Rafael, California, that I had won. Jimmy and I had won, and I had won the mystery prize. First prize was a mystery prize. Second was a Rolls Royce. Third was a Lincoln Continental. Then a Thunderbird, and then it went down to the steak knives. And uh, so they flew me to California. I was sort of the front man of our little team. They flew me to California. I went to dinner with William Penn Patrick, the owner of the company and the founder and the chairman of the board, and he told me over dinner at uh, the Caprice in Tiburon, California, then the finest restaurant in the world, in my opinion, that the mystery prize was presidency of the company. And uh, I was rather stunned. I was 25 years old and uh, didn't know how to balance my own checkbook, never never mind run a big company. But I said, why was it a mystery prize? He said, in case someone won that I didn't like, then I would change the prize. (laughs) Well, I'd met Bill on a couple of occasions, and we struck it off. And I didn't think we were buddies, but he apparently did. And so I moved to California and started the rocket ride. When I stepped in that phone booth and punched or dialed in the numbers, uh, I, I didn't know it, but I was dialing in a launch code. And that was, what, 35, 45, 55, 57, 58 years ago. And nothing has been the same in my life, good and bad, since that moment that he picked up the phone. 
You know what I love most about, well, I love all of it, but you know what really struck me when you were talking about looking at that, not the help wanted, the want ads, but the business opportunities and Mm -hmm. reading it and completely discarding half of it, but going for the other half, which made perfect sense. You didn't take the whole thing and go, oh, I can't do that, but I can do that. And off you went. (laughs) Want to make more money. Yes, there is that. I was fully qualified for that. I was putting my first wife, she's passed away now, but I was putting my first wife through nursing school, and I was making $100 a week. Now, young people have to adjust that for inflation. That's about 1000 a week now. But if you put my wife through nursing school, it doesn't go far. And uh, by the way, two people answered that ad. He ran it one day and two people answered it, me and Zig Ziglar and, and Jimmy Rucker by uh, association. And uh, I asked and him. he was the getaway car. Keep... Yeah, yeah, he was driving. I said, why didn't you run it more? He said, I only got two responses. I said, uh, you got Ben Gay, Jimmy Rucker, and Zig Ziglar. Those were your responses. I would run that sucker 365 days a year. There's more of us out here. Uh, I don't know. So, so when and you need to tell the Zig Ziglar story. Didn't Zig Ziglar win the Rolls Royce? If I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, he came in second. He won the Rolls. And on when I was had moved to San Rafael and was running the company. Uh, Zig would call because he was our top distributor in the field uh, for a year or two after I got to California. And uh, he would call for various reasons. And somewhere doing most calls, I'd say, Zig, here's the deal. Fly out here, and I will give you the keys to the front door and to my office, and you give me the keys to the Rolls Royce. And he said, oh, no, Ben, you won fair and square. <laughs> So you were stuck. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you told won. me you did. You told me a long time ago how you accidentally won that, and it was just by the hair of your teeth, and you weren't even really yeah. trying or paying attention. No, my father sort of raised me. You do the, He was a salesman, business owner, so on. He said, "You do the best you can every day, and don't." Uh, uh, don't get messed up by prizes and contests and so on. You're only competing with yourself. One of our top accounts in the food brokerage business one day, we were in New York in their suite, and they said, Mr. Gay, you're doing a great job and so on. So uh, if uh, if you hit this target, we're going to give you a color television console. Uh, today, kids wouldn't know what that was, but it was as big as a coffin with a television screen in the front and a record player and everything, and they were quite the deal. Almost everybody had one if you could afford one. And they said, if you do this, you're going to do this. And I'm sitting there young. I was probably 23 at the time. I shouldn't have even been in the meeting, sitting there looking at my father, wondering how I was going to react. He said, you can take that television and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. I do the best job I can for you every day. I'm not going to do a bit more to win a TV uh, or a bit less. And uh, I thought, oh, this is terrible. My father's going to get fired right in front of me. And they said, well, we understand that. And when we got home two or three days later, the television arrived. The contest hadn't started, but the television arrived. He had delivered his message. 
So in the holiday magic contest, I knew I was doing well. I knew I was making more money than anyone in Atlanta, for sure, and probably the southeast and so on. Uh, but again, it wasn't, and I, and I also wasn't going to knock myself out for a mystery prize. You know, <laughs> who knows what that is? Uh, Pizza, nor I ten pizzas these days. You, yeah. you get, you know, get <laughs> a dozen eggs, right? Uh, and uh, nor was I going to drive around a Rolls Royce. I was raised by classier people than that, and to show up at East Lake Country Club in a Rolls Royce, I'd have been the Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack. I would have been the Rodney Dangerfield of East Lake Country Club. So I just really wasn't terribly interested, but I was interested in making money. So the last day of the contest, uh, and I'm sure I knew that, uh, Jimmy Rucker and I went out in the outskirts of Atlanta somewhere and held an opportunity meeting. Zig Ziglar, unbeknownst to me, was with friends in Columbia, South Carolina, having a victory party because he oh. knew he had won and uh, when the contest him. results <laughs> when the contest results came in the difference between first and second place was almost to the dollar the amount of money or cash we generated in that opportunity meeting i'm making up numbers but let's say that in that opportunity meeting we generated 3000 new dollars that's the amount we beat zig by so and he never saw that comment, did he? Yeah. No. Uh, never can, uh, count your victories until they're in the bag. Arnold Palmer tells a great story of, I'm making up numbers, but being up four strokes coming down the 18th, and he looks over in the gallery and sees an old friend of his is saying, congratulations, Arnie. So Arnie went over, uh, shook his hand, accepted his uh, congratulations for the victory, even though he hadn't. Shot at the 18th green yet, and when he did, he got in a sand trap up under the lip and so on, and wound up losing the tournament uh, by a, a stroke, I think. And when asked about it, he said, they said, "What'd you What'd you learn? If you're under the lip, should you have done it differently?" He said, "No, I learned halfway down the 18th fairway not to accept congratulations for something you haven't done yet." That's very wise. And, you know, he had to learn the lesson, but it's just so true. I mean, we never know what's actually going to happen in the next few seconds or moment, and all of that yay, yay me can just get blown up right in your face. Real quick. That was Napoleon Hill's favorite things four or five times, I'm guessing, in the two and a half years we worked together. Uh, He would be in on a project as it started, at least as an observer. He wasn't a... uh, coat off hard worker in the business. He was my advisor. But uh, one of my great plans, and I've had many over the years, <laughs> one of my great pl- plans would blow up in my face and not work out. And whenever he was around and that happened, he would say, that's interesting, Ben. What are we going to do next? Hmm. That's a good question. Okay, let's... Yeah. let's... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sitting here going, oh, geez, I should ask that myself every single day. Because, look, entrepreneurs, you're one. I is one. Stuff blows up in our faces all the time. We need to have cast iron stomachs. And there's a lot of times during the day, multiple times during the day, I'll just go, what the heck are you thinking? And then I have to go outside <laughs> see, and see. sit under the pecan trees and ask myself yeah, that again. See, like- 
it seemed like such a good idea at the time. That's but exactly I, I right. Found, I found frequently that my great idea that I had makes me or made me a cult of one. <laughs> well, you got two now. If you're ever feeling like that, call me. I'll be under the pecan trees <laughs> wondering what the heck I just did. <laughs> so, but let's, let's go back and talk about Napoleon Hill because he didn't just wander into your office one day and say, hi, I'm Napoleon Hill. How did that come to be that you, he was well, actually, there to mentor you? You're actually closer to the truth. Um, I am? I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know he was in the building. Uh, he was there to award the owner of the company, William Penn Patrick. Uh, he, Bill had been in this book he'd just written. I frankly forget which one it was. But Bill was named one of the five greatest living Americans or people on the planet or something. And uh, he was there to present Bill, pictures taken and all. Bill's office was way in the back. Mine was right up front. And it was a long uh, building, so I uh, I had no endless. I bumped into him in the hallway, and I still wouldn't recognize him because, you know, those pictures of Napoleon Hill with a high shirt collar from the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s. By the time I met him, he was 84, and he didn't look like that at all, and he had lost those dreaded collars. He hated them, but that was the style. Uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, I'm sitting there working, and I hear uh, two knocks meant you don't have to say come in. I'm coming in. I'm Bill Patrick, the owner of the company. It was a courtesy knock. So I hear, and uh, I look up, and there stands Bill with this, uh, I I shouldn't say little old man, but he was to me. I was 25, uh, Standing next to him and being a southern gentleman, I jumped up, ran around my table, went over and said, hi, I'm Ben Gay. And Bill looked at me like I was a space alien and said, Ben, this is Dr. Napoleon Hill. And I said, oh, because the first day I joined Holiday Magic, my sponsor, Bill Dempsey, gave me an old beat-up copy of Think and Grow Rich and a record, which is sitting right here on my desk as we speak, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And Dempsey said, <clears throat> you're young, you're going to need some, you need to get you up to speed in a hurry. Listen to this record frequently, start reading this book. So I knew who he was, obviously. And uh, I said, uh, well, Dr. Hill, a pleasure to meet you. And he said, call me Nappy. And I said, uh, I can't do that. I'm a Southern gentleman. You're my senior. He was biologically old enough to be my great grandfather. You're my senior and you're a doctor. I didn't know of what, still don't, by the way. Uh, and uh, so it's Dr. Hill. And he said, okay, well, I would have entire conversations with him where I would structure sentences so I didn't have to say, so I uh, avoided saying Dr. Hill, because every time I said Dr. Hill, he would say for the first year or two together, nappy. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, other people can't chance. do that. We say Miss, no. Mr. Kids do it. I mean, that's just the way it yeah. is. Hey, Miss Denise, yeah. or hey, Mr. Ben, or, you know, what? That's yeah. just the way it is. Absolutely. I wish it was that way everywhere. But uh, that's the way it was in Atlanta when I was growing up. So, uh, anyway, uh, Bill Patrick said, Ben, I was just talking, and part of this I'm going to tell you, 
I found out later from Dr. Hill and or Bill, but I'll put it all in one uh, statement. Bill said, I was talking to Dr. Hill about you and what a great job you're doing, but I also mentioned that you're young and there must be times when you'd like to walk down that long hallway and come ask me a question or tell me you're afraid or, you know, whatever. So, but you don't ever do it. So I've hired Dr. Hill or retained Dr. Hill to be your, I forget the word he used. I'm not sure we use mentor. I know we didn't use coach, but what he did basically was he paid Dr. Hill $50,000 in 1965 money. That's about a half a million today to be my friend. It was like Rodney Dangerfield said he was so ugly. The family had to tie a pork chop around his neck so the dog would play with him. Well, they tied a $50,000 check around my neck so Dr. Hill would be my friend. And he said, you can tell him anything you want. You can ask him anything you want. Nothing will ever get back to me unless you tell me. And uh, so on. So we started off, frankly, a little tenuous. I didn't feel like I needed an old guy hanging around my office. Not uh, at 25. I mean, I remember being so arrogant at that. I was so arrogant (laughs) at 17. I'm surprised my mom didn't hit me with a car. Seriously. (laughs) And probably should have. Yeah, twice. We're all glad (laughs) she didn't. My father was giving me a a spanking or a cuffing one time. I I heard the story later. I remember the cuffing. I just don't remember the other conversation. So anyway, he comes out of my bedroom, starts down the hallway, and he hears my sister in the next bedroom crying. She was seven years younger than uh, I was. And uh, he went in to comfort her, find out what was wrong. And it was, I I was afraid you were going to kill him or something. And (laughs) he sat down on her bed, stroked her hair, and said, Jane, you must understand we're not dealing with a normal person. (laughs) <laughs> Somehow, parents they love you anyway right later at the time i found it mildly insulting but uh anyway the i know the the feeling of arrogance and uh dr hill started with me let me tell you a little about that confidential thing i didn't believe it and bill patrick had had a coup tried against him earlier by William Bailey, who later had Best Line and was Jim Rohn's mentor, uh, and uh, a couple other people. They were all at Holiday Magic. And uh, he threw them all out. But he couldn't tell you the story about when they came into his office and tried to pull off their coup, which was there were four of them total, including Bill. So they would have 75% of the company. He'd have 25%, and they would go forward from there. And Bill exiled them to various places, one to Mexico, one to Canada, one on a world tour to explore opportunities, and so on. They were all thrown out. If Bill tried to tell you that story, the veins on his neck would bulge, and the muscles right under his chin would look like uh, tight violin strings, aggravating so badly. So I wrote a letter to Bill. Uh, Dear Bill, Dr. Hilson, come tell you that we're planning a coup. It's not true. I'm testing whether he, whether what I tell him is, you know, held confidential or not. Took it to the art department, had it sealed with a wax seal, 
gave it to his secretary, Mary McGinnis, and said, put that in your desk drawer, and if I ask for it or you hear hear Bill screaming my name with dirty words inserted, get out the letter and hand it to him. So uh, I told Dr. Hill the story and waited for the eruption. I figured it would take about 24 hours, nothing a week, nothing a month, nothing. Uh, After a while, I sort of forgot about it. When the company, I left the company a couple of years later, it went out of business. When it went out of business, in Marion McGinnis's top drawer sat that letter that I had given her that day. Dr. Hill never breached any confidence of any kind that I ever told him, which takes me back to, I was asked one day in a seminar, what, what are the main things uh, Dr. Hill taught you? And I hate questions like that because he taught me 500 things, so I'm supposed to name three or four now. Uh, So I thought to myself, uh, tongue, don't fail me now. And I heard myself say integrity in all things, which is sort of the point of that story, focus and action. And uh, he drilled those into me over and over and over again until I finally got it. When I know you spent a lot of time with him. Now, he wasn't with you every day, but he was there in your office a lot from the conversations yeah. that you and I have had. And I remember you telling me that he would just sit there. You know, he had his own, own space where he would sit with his notepad and he would observe. He didn't yep. jump up and say, hey, Ben, what were you thinking? That was kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes you probably were waiting for that, but... I do. I'm, Look, I'm confident I, he thought that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I live alone, and I'm constantly looking over my shoulder to say, did anybody hear me say that? That was dumb. <laughs> I all the time. But, you know, I mean, you've told me some terrific stories about him, but he was he as mild-mannered as I think he was, or no? Am I just way far off? I you know, all I know is what I know. I never heard him raise his voice, uh, except dramatically when saying, action, Ben, take action. That would be a little louder than his normal speaking voice. Mainly, he sat and observed. And although we never laid it out as a rule, he never criticized me or volunteered information unless directly asked. Criticism never and I may have told you this, I dreaded the click of the door because we maybe 10, 12 people sitting around my conference table, which was my desk, and his spot was to my left at the very end of the table. Uh, we would talk about whatever we were doing and so on, and then finally the meeting would break up and everybody would get up and go, and he's still sitting there writing, and then I'd hear the door click, and then his head would come up. And that's when I was about to hear what I should have said, done, thought in the meeting that just broke up, but never in front of anybody else. I don't remember, I'm sure he did, but I don't remember him saying anything except in response to a direct question by me or somebody else there. And that was Dr. Hill's chair. If he wasn't in town, which was most of the time, he still lived in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, so he was out. I'm guessing four or five times a year for two and a half years. Uh, he loved to ride in the Learjet. He loved to have it sent for him. And I'm not sure that he flew commercial to or from us from the day he had his first ride in it. 
So, uh, you know, he'd say Ben on the phone. Ben, I, I've been thinking maybe we ought to get together. I said, I'll, I'll summon the Lear. Oh, that would be good. That would be good. So, uh, no, his, his was one-on-one with me. And then up at the house, he had his own bedroom, uh, the Dr. Hill suite. And, uh, at your his, home? Uh, yeah, at my house. Uh, he, uh, again, no one stayed in it unless we had an overflow crowd and he wasn't in town. Everybody knew that was Dr. Hill's chair at the table and his bedroom at the house. Favorite story of Dr. Hill, people are always looking for profound things that he said to me, but one of my fondest memories was I heard a noise at 2 or 3 in the morning. I got up to find out what it was because we had some cats and a big St. Bernard. I thought maybe he wanted out. So I get up, go downstairs, and there in the kitchen in his bathrobe is Dr. Hill with a refrigerator freezer door open, <clears throat> stealing ice cream. He and, wasn't uh, stealing it, Ben. He was relocating it. <laughs> yeah. you got to be careful there. Yeah, I didn't know he had a bathrobe or, you know, or knew where the – coming up this Saturday, coming up this Saturday on my – uh, daily success system is trim toenails, which comes up every five weeks and is part of the system. And the reason for that is one day at that house, I'm sitting out on the deck looking over San Francisco Bay. I saw it up way before anybody else was up, and I'm trimming my toenails. And he said, what are you doing? It's Dr. Hill. You think you can figure it out? But I said, I'm I'm sorry. I'm trimming my toenails. They were getting a little long and catching on my socks. He said, How is that possible? Don't you have them on a schedule? And I said, No. Oh. I said, Go get your calendar. So uh, I went and got my calendar. And he said, When do you do this? I said, On the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. He said, Okay, turn to Saturday. Let's go out five weeks and see if that'll work. If not, you can always move it back to four weeks or up to six or whatever. So I wrote trim toenails dash move up five weeks and wrote it in the calendar for five weeks from then. And I think it went down or up a week or two over the years. As I get older, your toenails grow faster or slower or whatever. But I will be laughing about him this Saturday when I look on my calendar. It says trim your toenails. Uh, Fifty plus years after he told me that made me write it down i'm still that's still part of the daily success system he taught me see things like that are those are the memories that you don't know you need to keep but they will always revisit you it's just one of those throwaway moments one of those happenstance moments but they're with you for the rest of your life yep yep have no idea at the time uh, and that spills over into all sorts of things in the system. You know, if you can remember to trim your toenails every five weeks, you can probably remember to return the phone calls you got yesterday. Uh, but I don't even try and remember that. It's on the calendar. Well, let's talk about that system because you've referenced that several times. And I don't know what's going I was telling this to David Brown this morning. My calendar... I'm not keeping track of it, even though it's in my computer. It's right there. This week, I took my dog. My dog and I go to the groomers on the same day. It's just she goes to hers, I go to mine, and then we meet up in the middle. I bring her home. 
I wasn't paying any attention to my calendar. I went to both of them on the wrong day. It's actually tomorrow. <laughs> but I did talk to the groomer into taking the dog because she smelled bad and Easter was coming. But I couldn't get my hair done because, you know, my gal wasn't there. And recently I've noticed that my system's kind of falling apart. So that's why I want to hear about your system. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I've got too much in my brain or not enough in my brain. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I'm losing track of things, and that bothers me because it messes with my focus. Write it down. That's, that's it. Yeah, but I then I have to go read it. Your, yeah. Uh, you said uh, on your computer, I use the one I'm working out of now. It looks like a hymnal. It's a red hymnal. It says 2023 Standard Diary Daily Reminder, and it comes from ACCO Brands in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, I, I forget whether he picked that out. I'm not even sure they were in business back then, but he told me to get a calendar for sure. And then you discipline yourself. For instance, when I, I knew, but when I came into the office this morning, Wednesday, April 12th, I opened it to Wednesday, April 12th, and the top thing on the calendar, highlighted in yellow, is 10 a.m. Denise Show slash link question mark, meaning do I have the link yet? And then space dash space, move up Wednesday, since we're going to be doing this every Wednesday. I've already moved it up for three or four Wednesdays, so I don't forget. But the trick is write it down and check your account. People, I see it on the Internet all the time. Do you set up tomorrow's day uh, the night before? Well, today was set up. The oldest thing on here was about six months ago for today because I wrote it down. And now you said too much on your mind. The good news is you don't have to remember anything. Did you ever ask well, me? Do I have, have to remember to read today? it, though. You know, that's, that's well, the kicker. Well, you put it where you can't avoid it. You walk in. It's uh, In my case, it's right under a desk light, like a hymnal would be. And you'd almost have to be deliberately ignoring it to not read it. And then the, okay. the time things that are really important, I highlight in yellow everything else, but it all gets done every day anyway, that it, which is also part of the secret. You get it done. And it can be personal things. I won't say his name because he'll think I'm insincere, but a dear friend of mine had a mild stroke. He fell, hit his head, and a few weeks later discovered he'd had a mild stroke as a result of the fall. So I check on him. Well, I love him dearly. I would check on him anyway uh, when it crossed my mind. But what it says tomorrow, Thursday, April 13th, is two weeks, colon. That means it's been two weeks since I checked to see if he, his name, uh, is slash A-OK. And then it says move up two weeks, uh, which I will do. And now if I hear something, you know, uh, I'm bleeding from an open artery and and I'm not going to make it, then that changes the calendar dramatically. But right now I'm just sort of hand-holding, checking with him. And he always says, as do many of my friends who are amazed that I remember their birthday or this or that or so on, oh, you really care. I do. I care enough to write it in the calendar. Gotcha. And then I don't have to give it. And Gigi's always saying, do you have this tomorrow, that tomorrow, when's our doctor's appointment, whatever. I said, go look at the calendar, honey. The reason I have a calendar is I don't have to remember anything. 
and then next to the bed and on both of my desks that I use and in the car and so on are those little mini legal pads, also some real legal pads, but the mini legal pads on which I, if I have an idea, oh, I hate long weekends. The last long weekend that we had when I went around the house and the office tearing off the top sheet on the memo pads, I had 71 ideas, reminders, notes, total on the pads around the area. 71. What are the chances of you or me remembering 71 things after you a three-day weekend? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You just don't. Zero. You don't remember three things. You remember that you hate potato salad, but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of locked in if you don't like the uh, – so it's this personal discipline, which is another thing I learned from Dr. Hill. I mean, I, I knew it. Almost everything Dr. Hill taught me was something my mother and father tried to teach me. But somehow I was the saying in the Bible, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, I was ready at about age 25, too bad for my mother and father, uh, and Dr. Hill appeared. Now, you guys became, that's an amazing story, you guys became very close friends, not necessarily like first cousins or friends, but I have always had the sense that you had tremendous admiration for him and that you would not be where you are at any level without having spent that time with him. Major, major factor. I could, if, if I wanted to play devil's advocate, I had a lot of wonderful people around me. Maybe I would have inserted someone else and listened to them. But he was the one that was paid to be my friend. I never forget that. He was paid to be my friend. Oh, cute story about being uh, paid. Uh, Bill Patrick paid him the first year. And they had a loose handshake agreement. This covers a year. Let me know how the kid works out <laughs> type thing. Well, near the end of the near the end of the first year, Doctor Hill dropped a couple little hints. I'm a very good listener. Of are we going to go on? And uh, you know, we'll be friends. But am I at your beck and call, taking phone calls all hours of the day and night and so on? And uh, so I, I said, uh, well, I'd love to. Let me let me give it a little thought. Well, the thought was to walk down the hall to Bill Patrick's office. I said, Doctor Hill's handing. And he'd like to do this for another year. Uh, what do you think? He said, well, the first year was on me. It's up to you now. So do whatever you want. So the second year, I wrote a check for $50,000. And I think the third year, I've said laughingly for you because he died two and a half years after we started, I think his estate owes me $25,000 that I never collected because <laughs> he got ill and died uh, halfway through the second year. So from then on, it was me, and it was a conscious decision. This is a good investment. I was under no pressure at all. And see, the thing is, Ben, that you understood, and so many people don't until they do figure it out, that there's a huge difference between what is this going to cost me or what is the investment, what what is the return for this money that I'm going to spend. There's a big, big difference. Yeah, what's, the, what's the value? Exactly. That's exactly right. Let's say you never taught me anything. I've made part of a good living over the years talking about Dr. Hill being my good friend. <laughs> that alone 
gives you a degree of credibility. That was on my mind until long after he was gone, but I thought, yeah, people really want to hear about this. There's three things. I've, I've dealt with a lot of famous, powerful people, but there are three things, if anybody knows anything about me, they want to know about. Dr. Hill, uh, the uh, why, how and why I was attitude coach for the astronauts on Apollo 15, 16, 17, and my times with Charlie Manson at San Quentin. That's quite a spread. Uh, oh, you Dr. told Hill's that story, story, Charlie Manson, on yeah. one of our podcasts. I, yeah. You know, I listened to that the other day. It was a long time ago, and I remembered everything you told me. And I remember just going, because <laughs> that guy is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if he killed me, he wasn't going to get away. We were locked in his cell. So uh, as, as it turned out, it worked out all right. I, I may have told you, I, I think it's usually part of the package when I talk about Charlie. When I walked in the first time, he'd asked to meet me. Uh, when I walked in the first time, his his cell was sort of, uh, what do they call it, minimalist? Min, minimal, I can't pronounce the word. Stark. Yeah. There was hardly Stark. anything in <laughs> yeah. it. And, and most of the times, by the time you settle in the cell, you got paintings up on the wall, even if you did the paintings and so on. He didn't have anything. He had a second bunk on top, which he used as a shelf. Uh, it seems no one wanted to room with Charlie. So he no. had a two-bunk cell. So. One, <laughs> a two-bunk cell with one man in it. And he used the top shelf bunk as his uh, storage area, a few pairs of pants, a shirt, and his entire library, one book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie, I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the great books of all time. And I said, Charlie, what a uh, interesting book selection. And he said, yep, it's my Bible. I couldn't have built the Manson family without it. Oh. Now, that's not casting any aspersions on Dale Carnegie. That's just saying no. life works in certain ways, and Charlie figured out how to manipulate people, in his case, evilly, in uh, the way the book was supposed to be used, uh, for positive benefit for everybody. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm clutching my stomach. I've heard you tell this story before. I've got it in records. Like, oh, ick. So... <laughs> But let's go back just a little bit because I know we started talking about Napoleon Hill and, you know, everybody. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't his book, his seminal book, isn't that, hasn't that been purchased or read more times in the Bible or is it close? Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, a lot of figures get tossed around after time has passed. It's based on what somebody remembers or this landmark. We, we say, for instance, the Closers Part 1 has sold 10.5 million copies when we quit counting 25, six years ago now. I don't know how many it sold. And 10.5 million was a very educated estimate. I've given 5,000 paid appearances and probably another 5,000 free if you throw in my prison work and church work and so on. But even that is an estimate based on how many did you do a week for how long, you know. No one is putting them down, counting them. But when I got my copy of Think and Grow Rich, I was told, and I heard it for years, 
that it was the second best-selling book in the world, second only to the Bible. The first time Dr. Hill was at the house, and and I think they put $100 on the cover now, and and I trust me, nobody knows. But that's probably very close, healthy estimate. Uh, When I... uh, but readership is the key thing. The first time Dr. Hill was at the house, he walked into our living room, and my wife at the time, Marcia, had positioned a copy of Think and Grow Rich on the coffee table that would be right in your line of sight. You couldn't have missed it. And it was sort of cheesy and embarrassing, frankly. <laughs> like we all gathered around the coffee table and read Think and Grow Rich every night. So, so I said, uh, trying to recover, I said, oh, Dr. Hill, be a thinking go rich. How does it feel to have read to have written one of the best selling books in the world? He said, best selling, least read. And over time he told me that uh, when he meets somebody and they talk about thinking grow rich or the law of success or several of the other books he allegedly wrote, uh, that he can talk to them for four or five minutes and he knows if they've read it or not. He said, so a lot of people buy it. I have a copy. It would be more graphic if I could hold up and show it to you on camera. But I have a copy of Think and Grow Rich that's 75 years old. The front cover is cherry red. The back cover is cherry red. The spine is bleached out by the sun. And it's addressed by Dr. Hill to a lady named Grace Dixon. Here's what happened to Grace Dixon. I've just been publishing in public seminars and so on long enough to know. Somehow she found out Dr. Hill was coming to town. She bought a ticket or whatever you did here and back then. She went down. He used to pitch his books in in his seminars. He was a working guy trying to make a living. And she decided to buy one. She then went up front, had him sign it. He said to Mrs. Grace Dixon, all the best or whatever. Uh, Napoleon Hill, and then she took it home with the best of intentions and stuck it in her bookcase. The reason I know that, one, the spine is bleached out. Two, when a friend of mine bought it at a garage sale for 50 cents and said, I got to give this to Ben Gay and brought it to me, I went to open it to look inside. The spine had never been cracked. Only the front cover had been because he had to open it to sign it. So there's Mrs. Grace Dixon is one of the 100 million people who bought it and never looked at it and therefore didn't benefit from it, which is sort of a shame. If everybody had read it and absorbed it, we might not be having some of the problems we're having today. And these days, of course, you can listen to it. Yeah, I listen to mm-hmm. an awful lot of things. I don't listen to fiction on Audible. I'm going to read fiction I want to be able to put my, you know, it has to be in my own mind, you know, the pictures that I'm drawing, yeah, but yeah. I will often listen to, you know, the books that he has written. I'll listen to Wallace Waddles. I've been listening to mm-hmm. Ernest Holmes. I mean, I do a lot of listening, mostly when I'm trying to go to sleep, which is not, as you know, my highest skill. Sleeping is one <laughs> of those things I'll do when I'm dead, apparently, but you know, these days you can you can absorb that information. You can read it. You can hear it. You know, you can watch a lot of it on YouTube. It's out there. There's no there's no reason not to know about this book and what's in it. True. And 
uh, it's amazing now that you don't have to stand up to do it. You can do it on your phone or whatever. But it's all been available since the monks started gathering books in their library thousands of years ago. And then with the Gutenberg printing press, it became available to everybody thanks to the Carnegie libraries. Uh, so my my point is the secrets of the universe were never withheld. They were ignored like they are today in spite of their availability. Exactly. You know, you just reminded me, I've been wanting to ask you this because I'll hear different versions of different books and it's I either hear, hear Dale Carnegie or Dale Carnegie which is it I don't know it's Carnegie me either. to me that's why it drives me it, crazy that's what I've always heard the Carnegie library and so on. Uh, that may be a local thing in Massachusetts Peabody is Peabody oh. uh, so I you know I really don't know I, I, I don't confuse me I'm sticking with Carnegie <laughs> me too that's the way I've always <laughs> pronounced it so I thought okay yes, well, somebody knows <laughs> we're still sticking with Carnegie so there you have in it Atlanta, so, in Atlanta there's a street called H-O-U-S-T-O-N uh, Houston it would be to me it's Houston in Atlanta in San oh, Francisco yeah. there's a street G-O-U-G-H to me that's golf I think uh, half of San Francisco believes it's go, and there are no members of the family alive to, t- to settle the argument. So you just got to make up your mind. We have the same thing here. I'm in southwest Louisiana. Not too far down is a little town called Iowa. It's spelled Iowa, but it's Iowa. Ah. Don't ask me how that W, <laughs> that Y got in there. I don't have a clue. <laughs> It's Cajun country. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the answer. But we can tell if you're local or not how you pronounce the names around here. I mean, this, oh, you're a foreigner. Where are you from? <laughs> oh, I'm from Texas. Oh, you're a foreigner. <laughs> you're not local. <laughs> so that's how we did. But let's go back to, to Napoleon Hill. We've got a lot of talking to do over the next Wednesdays, and I'm so excited because the stories that you have shared with me and that I've read – are just amazing and you have met and dealt with not dealt with but worked with and been friends with some astonishing people all as a result of winning the mystery prize which to me is just astonishing i always think as a result of picking up the atlanta general journal constitution wednesday september 15 1965 remove that i happened to see a news rack i wasn't looking for the newspaper uh, I saw one put a nickel or a quarter in, whatever you did in those days, and thought, I'll oh, see if there's any better jobs available. Uh, had I turned left instead of right coming out of a colonial grocery store where I was stocking stuff, uh, I wouldn't have picked up the paper, wouldn't have seen the ad. Uh, we wouldn't be talking. You know, things like that, in my opinion and in, in my experience through life, is that they don't happen by accident or happenstance. You may not know, you may not be paying attention, but you're being guided. Now it's up to you to take that guidance and do something with it. Yes, yes. Gigi's forever asking me because she knows the old stories, but she wasn't part of them. I've only known her for married 27 years. I've known her socially for 40 
lurking in the bushes waiting for her to be available. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she says, oh, I wish I was there. I wish this. Or what if you'd done so-and-so? And I said, honey, you can fiddle with the past all you want so long as God promises me that today I'd be lying in bed beside you having this conversation. I don't want to do anything with the past that changes that. There you go. That, and I love Gigi. I think she's so funny. She's, we we she chat is. back and forth on Facebook, and we just have a good old time to it. So, Ben, you have got so much to share. And, I mean, I'm really looking forward to these conversations that we have every week because as far as I'm concerned, and we said it at the very beginning, you are a living sales legend, and we're going to get into how that happened, and we're going to get into the closers over time. And the other day when we were having, we were doing a recording, a Zoom recording, and you told me, honestly, the funniest story I have ever heard about Earl Nightingale that had me snorting tea out my nose. I think I spit on the cat. I'm pretty sure I did. One of these days I want you to tell that story because it's hilarious. But, you know, you knew and have known so many people that we know. It doesn't matter really what our age is. We pretty Mm -hmm. much all know who Earl Nightingale is. We definitely know who Zig Ziglar is. Oh, I've got to tell you my Zig Ziglar story. So when I first bought my house I bought my house 2005 the week of Hurricane Katrina I kid you not and I mean I bought it sight unseen I bought it the day it went on online I just bought it I didn't even see it until after I just signed the papers thank goodness I liked it in fact I love my house but I remember being at a garage sale and I came across this little plastic binder that said 25 cents I went okay I can afford that opened it up and there's Eight, I think it's, eight, it's either six or eight cassette tapes. Like, how am I going to play these? But they said Zig Ziglar. And my reaction was, what in the hell is a Zig Ziglar? I didn't know. I had no idea. Oh, really? I had no clue. So I had to go find a cassette player. And when I heard his voice, I just instantly fell in love with him. And I've been a Zig fan ever since. I still have that little binder. I don't have a, a cassette player. I mean, who does? You probably could buy one. And the cassettes are all yellowed, but it's still in my office. It's in my office office, and it's not going anywhere. And if it winds up in my estate, it better go for more than 25 cents. So whoever takes care of that, I'm telling you right now, charge a buck for that. Charge a dollar. It's been around for a while. But he was such a terrific person. And you guys were very good friends too, weren't you? Yeah, we were uh, in the big. Do you remember his uh, pump handle story? Biscuits, fleas, and pump handles. You got to climb the pump and so on. Right. Well, it, I won't do the whole story. We don't have time. But anyway, his famous, what everybody asked for was biscuits, fleas, and pump handles. Those three stories. Biscuits were one day he went to a neighbor's house who was known for great biscuits, and they were about as thick as a quarter this day. And uh, he said, uh, Ms. Maddie, whatever, what happened to the biscuits? She said, well, uh, Mr. Zig, uh, the biscuits squatted to rise and got cooked in the squat. And, and then he would go on. And that's what happens to people. You know, they squat to rise, they get cooked. And fleas was, you could put, uh, I've told the story so many times, I believe it. I don't know if it's true or not, but Zig said, 
you put a bunch of fleas in a mason jar and put the lid on it and watch them jump because a flea can jump like four feet straight up in the air and they'll jump up and hit their head, hit their head, hit their head. And after a while, you can take the lid off the jar and they will jump, but not high enough to hit their head and not high enough to ever jump out of the jar again. And that's what people do. Uh, and pump handles They train themselves in limitations. Yeah. As I said, I don't know if it's true, but it's a great story, great example. And then uh, the pump handles had to do with priming the pump. People pump and pump and pump, but they didn't prime the pump. They didn't get ready. And then just as the water rises up, uh, in spite of their ignorance about how you work a pump, and gets right ready to come out, they give up and walk away. And that's what most people do and so on. Well, he had an honest-to-God off somebody's farm, rusty and cast iron or whatever that is. And uh, so, and I saw him struggling with it one day, which was sort of like watching Elvis unload the van and getting out the guitars. You're not supposed to see that. Uh, you know, he's supposed to walk on as Elvis. And I said, Zig, to him one day, I said, Zig, can't you get somebody to carry that pump? And he said, uh, well, who would I, I'm not going to pay anybody to travel around me. And I said, well, here's the deal. In exchange for me sitting on the front row taking notes, watching you work, uh, and a lunch or a dinner before or after the seminar, whenever we're in the same town, same area, same zone, I'll carry the pump, and you won't be seen with it. He said, deal. Now, <clears throat> I made that arrangement before I'd ever picked up the pump. That sucker must have weighed <laughs> 50 pounds. And it had Cast rust iron. all over it. Yeah, it had rust all over it. So now in our, we all wore black suits. Now in my black suit, I look like somebody just crawled out from under a, a boxcar. But I must have carried that pump into 50 or 100 seminars in exchange for watching him work. And uh, so the, a lot of what I, I don't try and be Zig Jr., but a lot of what I saw, you know, you don't have to be so contained. You don't have to uh, be uh, uh, conservative in the way you handle yourself and so on, uh, came from carrying that stupid pump around and watching Zig work. And then when I quit carrying it, he got a new one, shiny, bright, made out of aluminum you could carry in one hand. I said, where the heck was that? <laughs> well, time marches on or something like that. So <laughs> He had you. The, uh, yeah, he had me. He didn't have to get a new pump as long as he had me. But uh, that's learn deliberately meeting interesting people is not accidental. I've had a few accidents, Dr. Hill being one of them. But mainly I see interesting people and I go after them and I decide to be their friend and I figure out some way to get inside their defenses so I can learn from them. And that's how you meet Charlie Manson, Sally Stanford, the San Francisco madam, was a dear friend of mine after she was out of the madam business and running a restaurant in Sausalito, California. Great lady. I learned so much talking to her. People say, how did you meet Sally Stanford? I walked over to her and I said, hi, my name's Ben Gay. I've read all about you. And some way by hook or crook, we're going to be friends. And she said, sit down. So I sat down at the bar next to her and our, our friendship was sealed. But you got to ask. Somebody's got a book out right now about you got to ask. And that's really true. You have to ask. Take advantage of the opportunities. 
And almost everyone I've met that's famous or I learned some great story from was a result of me seeking them out, introducing myself, and asking questions. It's a big secret in selling, for instance. And we're going to talk about that, too. As you know, I am a highly committed card-carrying introvert, but I'm not shy. I'm not even close to shy. And as my mom used to say, you don't have any filters, do you? Nope, I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but Gigi says I, when we go into a restaurant, you don't have to meet everyone in this restaurant. Can we just have dinner? I said, well, but meeting everybody in the restaurant is part of dinner. That's the entertainment. That's how you get to know people. But like you, I ask. I mean, that's how this podcast has gotten to where it is. I just ask. I mean, and I can tell this story another time because we're not streaming any longer, but Larry Wingett saved this podcast 10 or 15 years ago just by me asking, you know, what did I have to lose? Not a darn thing. I just asked for him to come on and darned if he didn't. But listen, we are, we're out of time. It's always so fast talking with you. But listen to our audience. Ben recorded um, the outro, and he's going to give some information that tells you how to connect with us, how to find us, you know, how to work with us if you so choose. So, Ben, before I let you go, do you have anything else you want the audience to know? No. Uh, being the first one, this is a little different than the others will be. I just want you to know we're all, we are on this Wednesday show going to teach selling, among other things. Other things always spill into it. We're going to teach selling. The Bible that I will teach from is the Closer series, especially Closer's parts one and two. So if you want to, you know, if the whole congregation is singing a hymn, you might want a hymnal and uh, go on Amazon or whatever and get the closest parts one and two because next week and all the weeks following that will play a little bit bigger part in what I talk about. Exactly. And I wanted people to say, well, why are we doing this? Why is Denise doing this with Ben? Partly because I just adore you. You are very definitely my mentor, but your history I mean, you've got some living history going on here that I really do want the audience to to hear about and understand while we're learning about sales. And by the way, I have those books on my desk. You signed them for me. And, I mean, they are known as a sales Bible, so you're not kidding. So anyway, let's go ahead and put this one to bed. It's going to get easier, a little bit smoother as we go on, but I don't care. As long as I get to chat with you, I'm happy. So here we are. So and vice every, versa. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, listen, I was so glad that we did. And by the way, our dear audience, we put this together about three weeks ago. We got the idea, and I said, let's do this. Let's absolutely do this. In three weeks to just about the day, here we are. So thank you, Ben. My pleasure and honor. Me too. Hi, this is Ben Gay again. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Your Partner in Success Radio, featuring my partner in this exciting venture, podcasting expert Denise Griffiths, and me, our resident sales expert. In addition to Denise's regular popular podcasts, which are among the top-rated podcasts in the world, here I will join her each Wednesday to share our insights into personal development, communication skills, and professional selling. 
And if you're looking to improve your sales skills and personal income, be sure to check out my books in the Closers series. And if you want to learn how to create your own successful podcast, connect directly with Denise. She is the best. If you enjoyed hearing from us, be sure to check out our websites and other contact points for more resources and information. For instance, we're currently featuring my The Closers sales training series, signed and dated, with special pricing, free shipping, and lifetime money-back guarantees at stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books. I'll spell that for you. R-O-N-Z-O-N-E Books, B-O-O-K-S. And you may connect directly with Denise Griffiths about her products and services, all of which I wholeheartedly endorse at denisegriffiths.com. Now, if you're enjoying our podcast, we have a special offer for you. For a limited time, we're offering a free sales consultation with Denise and or me. Just head to our website at denisegriffiths.com. Sign up there and begin taking your sales game to the next level. Again, we thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be closing.